Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge in sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Good morning and welcome listeners to another episode of the Closers Inner Circle Podcast hosted by Denise Griffiths on your Partner in Success Radio and my host, my co-host Ben Gay III, and we are diving into the world of sales mastery from a, with a gem from the Closers Part 2. These books, Part 1 and Part 2, are genuinely widely known as the sales bibles. So our focus today is in the world of selling and its confidence and clarity, and we are working on the closers part two, page 35. And by the way, our show last week was save as much as you want from the closers part two, specifically on page 71. So if you missed that episode, you can find it on your partner in success radio.com or honestly, anywhere you listen to your business podcast. And the chapter today begins, and I highlighted this because it's like, okay, I get this. And it begins I don't know. And you have just read three of the most difficult words to pronounce in the English language and probably any other language. And most, if not all, salespeople have found that admitting uncertainty can really feel like you're stumbling over a challenging pronunciation. <laughs> if you're married, you've come across that. I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> you just, you don't know what to say. But embracing the honestly, honestly behind those three words can be a really powerful tool. And it opens a door for collaboration, problem solving. We've talked about this before and building trust with customers and consumers and your husband or your wife. So while I don't know may seem like a sales stumble, it really isn't. It can actually pave the way for stronger connections and a more transparent, authentic sales process. And sales savvy professionals recognize that honesty and transparency are paramount. So instead of viewing, I don't know, as a hindrance, they transform it into an opportunity for growth and learning. So admitting a lack of knowledge can actually help you when you're telling somebody, you know, I just don't know, but I sure can find out. I'll get back to you. So good morning, Ben. It's Wednesday. Oh, I thought you were going to say Wednesday and give a date or something. No, um, this is your cue to <laughs> let me rest my voice and you start talking. All right. Well, good morning to you, Denise. Uh, a pleasure to be with you as always. Got good response to, well, I always get good response from people who listen to the shows, but last week was especially strong. I think because it's a semi-complicated thing, people can look it up themselves in the book if they have one. If they don't, shame on them uh, and find out what we were talking about. But it was save as much as you want, a semi-complicated uh example of uh, explaining a change in policy or a change in quantity discounts or whatever. Today is, was, it seems so simple. In fact, you just about explained what I was going to talk about so I can just go get lunch now. No, uh, no, you have to stay. <laughs> but uh, it, it's easy to understand the concept. It's difficult in the beginning for people to actually do. And the way I learned it, I guess I knew it all along. I, I cringe sometimes when I attribute things to Ogmandino or Dr. Napoleon Hill or Zig Ziglar, some of my friends and mentors, um, because my mother and dad uh, taught me those things also. But they were mother and dad. And it's hard to be a prophet in your own hometown. It's the reason I've sent two of my sons to Dale Carnegie to learn public speaking and confidence. And people say, why'd you do that? That's what you teach. I said, they don't listen to me, but oh. they'll, but they'll listen at the Dale Carnegie seminar. So you only find out how wise your parents were about a year after they have passed. Yeah, absolutely. 
So it caught, you know, $1,200, I'm quoting from memory, I think it was $1,200 a head for them to go drive down to Sacramento and learn what they learn at the dinner table if they've been paying attention. But uh, anyway, I'm positive my mother and father had taught me this, that I don't know is not a sin, but I, I was young and sassy and full of myself and uh, you know, boy wonder. And so I thought it was important that I knew everything. And one day, Dr. Napoleon Hill was in the office and uh, heard me explaining something to somebody. And shortly thereafter, when we were alone, that was one of the nice things Dr. Hill always did for me. He never criticized me or corrected me or said much of anything in front of other people. Uh, but when the door clicked shut on my office, I always used to think, uh-oh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> he has something he wants to share. And this one was, I'm paraphrasing, but the gist of it was, Ben, you were just explaining to somebody whatever, and it was obvious you didn't know what you were talking about. You didn't know the answer, and you were stalling and shuffling. He didn't say it, but shucking and jiving <laughs> might be a way to explain it. And uh, I said, well, you know, I know what you're saying, and I didn't know the answer, but I'm the president of the company and blah, 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 and so on. He said, well, let me give you an, an escape hatch. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but this was the gist of it. He said, you and I don't know 99.999999 percentage of the available facts, the truths the you know two and two is four glad you got that one but what's uh 812 times 913 you know without a calculator i don't know exactly and you don't know 99.999 percent of the other things available to know and learn so get comfortable with saying i don't know and I forget how deep we went with it in that initial conversation, but over time, it became one of my favorite subjects to go through with him. So over dinner or up at the house or whatever, we would discuss it further. And one of the things that came up somewhere in one of those conversations was the fact, and you just touched on it, that it actually builds credibility. If you, it's, it's, For instance, I'm forever, a lot of people quote famous quotes and quotations and people and don't give them credit. I try to always give them credit if I if I realize it didn't come whole whole cloth from my brain. I always try and give other people credit to the point that I sometimes give other people credit for saying something that I don't think they said. President Harry Truman, for instance, has gotten much smarter since he died because when when in desperation, I will attribute things to Harry Truman because, you know, who knows? And it was a wise saying, and it came from a wise guy. And if I got the name wrong, that wasn't the point of the lesson. So uh, I have learned to be very comfortable with I don't know, uh, almost take it as a badge of honor and usually follow it up with if it's important usually followed up with what you've been saying, talking about this morning. I don't know, but I'll find out. Or I don't know, but if it's important to you, I'll find out. And uh, frequently, I was thumbing through the chapter this morning, frequently they already know the answer to their question. They wanted to see if you knew it and or if you were honest in not knowing it. And I don't know, but I'll find out uh, is critical. I've I position myself as sort of the go-to guy and um, uh, among my little circle of influence around the world. And <laughs> okay, I gotta call you on that. My little circle of influence around the world. That was oh, you're I clever. Got that. You're clever. I got it. <laughs> huh? I'll have to work on that one. Yeah, uh, your delivery needs a little something. <laughs> <laughs> Among my millions of followers, uh, <laughs> I, I do love to drop. I figured out one time how many paid speeches I've given. And then in my brain sort of figured out how many in the average audience they 
peaked out just shy of 20,000 in an audience and all the way down to 10, you know, but it came out to in the 5,000 paid uh, uh, appearances I've made in the probably 10,000 free ones to churches and schools and prisons and so on uh, that I've probably met. And I'm always first one in the room and last one to leave. So if they didn't shake my hand, it was their fault, not mine. I've shaken the hands of about two and a half million people. And I always try and drop that in like my circle of friends, my little circle of friends around the world. <laughs> and nobody would catch that. Honestly. Wow. You just did. And that well, really... yeah, but I'm, I'm smart. Just ask, <laughs> just ask me how smart I am. I'm very smart. I got to tell, I can't wait to see Gigi. She's always saying when she does something like that to me or calls me on something, I said, how do you know that? He said, come on, smart. <laughs> I'm going to tell her that Denise is also smart. Yeah, we're smart. <laughs> <laughs> we're smarter than the average bear. <laughs> so anyway, if you shake the hands of two and a half million people and each one of them feels like they have some question they should ask you to be polite or some compliment they should give you to be polite, it puts you in a position to say, I don't know, uh, many times a day, if it's to a big audience and you're there all day in the room, thousands of times a day. And I found it's sort of cute. Jim Rohn, who I was a good friend, and uh, many people who listen to this broadcast are probably big fans of his. Jim Rohn used to have a cute way of talking, you know, it's sort of a whiny thing. You know, why has this happened? I don't know. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. But what he's what he's saying, you know, what's the mystery of life? I don't know. So I I found that it was not only good policy per Dr. Hill, it was also when done properly, semi-funny. Uh, and Jim Rohn made a career out of saying, I don't know, to lots of things. And he said, if you don't know. Don't know it. Don't make it up. They probably exactly. know the answer. They do. They do. Yeah. And I was. You talk about Jim Rohn. I was listening to him one time, and you know, I, I tend towards snark. You know this. You know, mm -hmm. sarcasm is my first language. English is my second. <laughs> and I'd had enough. This one person, if somebody I knew, so he didn't get real offended, but he kept asking me basically the same question. In a, he would just come back with a different a way of approaching the same question. And I still didn't know the 18th time. And finally I wheeled around and I looked at him and I swear to God, I said, this beats a bat shit out of me, Robin. And that was the end of that. <laughs> that <laughs> pretty much that sums yeah. it up, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 And I clapped my hand over my mouth. I said, did I say that out loud? He said, yes, you did. So, okay. I got to go now. <laughs> For Newer listeners, Denise and I suffer from a problem frequently when we say something, we hear it for the first time yep. that, that you hear it. <laughs> you know, I go, oh, no filters. That's interesting. I, I didn't know I was going to say that. <laughs> As I, I said, I often so, have to apologize and say, I'm sorry, and actually really mean it. As I said to a client or potential client that I had decided not to work with, I think I've mentioned this recently. He said, I get the feeling you don't want to work with me. Uh, why is that? And for the first time I heard it, because I don't like you. And, and, I, and I sort of, I don't put my hand over my mouth. I've learned to just have a straight face and march on. But that was one of those. I thought maybe I could have worded that a little differently. But yeah, like, but like what you said to your friend, uh, it uh, closed it down. There was nowhere okay. to go after that. You know. But I still hear about it. It's like, Denise, <laughs> do, you, do you remember when you said, no, no, I don't know. I don't no. remember it at all. You must now be mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's so, immortalized on the radio. <laughs> somebody else said that. But back to the subject point of I don't know, it gives you credibility to be honest enough to say, I don't know but I'll find out if that's appropriate. Sometimes I don't know is plenty because the question didn't warrant a lot of follow-up. But with the people who call me as sort of the go-to guy in my little circle all the way around the world, <laughs> uh, the uh, 
I, I'm not going to let you live that down. Just, yeah. just no. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've written it down. <laughs> the, I can't wait to tell Gigi that I got caught the uh, in my Rolodex. And as our regular listeners know, I literally have a Rolodex. It's about a foot long, I'm guessing, and it has hundreds of cards in it. And I sort of know where to start when I'm asked a question. But what I say is, I don't know, but let me see if I know somebody who does. And I'm flipping through cards at high speed. On some cards, I even have tie-ins like uh, Danny Cox, who's passed away. But he was a dear friend of mine, a real estate primarily sales trainer, although he did motivational work and so on. Uh, Danny was one of those people who memorized 8,000 quotes. So if somebody says... You know, who said, who was it that said so-and-so? I said, I really don't know, but I know someone who does. And I flipped to the C's. There's Danny Cox. And if it's worthwhile proceeding, I used to call him and say, Danny, real quick, I got somebody on the phone. So-and-so said this. Uh, who was it? And he'd give me the answer. And I'd go back and I'd say, okay, from my miracle Rolodex, here's the answer to your question. And uh, so it makes you look wiser and smarter and less like a know-it-all, which is also an advantage. And they don't care usually. Uh, The the flip side of that, if if the questions tend to be about something you're selling to somebody, uh, that's a reminder to uh, a God wink, as you would call it. That's Mm -hmm. a God wink to learn more. Uh, things that I sell on a regular basis, you would be hard pressed to ask me a question that I, to which I don't know the answer, not because I'm smart, but I decided to sell that product or service. So I also decided to get up to speed uh, as quickly as I could. And then experience, you know, if you, there's certain things like, how do I deal with, I want to think about it. Well, I've never heard that. Well, then you haven't been in selling more than 30 minutes. Uh, exactly. we've all heard it so the question let's go back to the question uh what do you say or how do you deal with with that and the answer of course is covered in sales infiltration uh page 257 in the closures part two uh where you knock down objections up front i don't wait to hear i want to think about it i talk about that's not allowed to start with you got questions as we go along fine. Just don't do me the disservice or insult me to listen to me for an hour and then say, I want to think about it. As we go, if something comes up you want to think about, ask me right then. So then when they come up with the standard objections, you can say, well, uh, uh, no, no, we already discussed that up front. We said, I'll be straight with you. You'd be straight with me. I'll treat you fairly, squarely, decently by the rules. And you promised just not to say, I want to think about it. I, I want a definite yes or a definite no. I can I can deal with either one and get on with my life. What will kill you in selling is maybes. And you certainly don't want to maybe, oh, I want to think about it. You don't want to maybe hanging on some fact that you didn't know. Learn how to brush them aside quickly solve the problem quickly and make a mental note that they just brought up something about your product or service to which you should have known the answer. Remember it. Yeah. Sometimes you just not recall. You know, one thing I noticed when, when I was starting my business, my web development business, and you know, you're young, you're stupid. Nobody's trained you. You just need the business. You need to make the money. You need to build your portfolio, whatever your reasons are. You're always going to, if you're stupid, and I was say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. I found out very quickly that by me not saying, gee, I don't know. And then coming back for another conversation when I was on sure footing, uh, for one, I would lose sales. Two, sure. or this was worse. I would take on something that I didn't know how to do. So yeah, the most I, I don't careful. know is is difficult to say. What was harder for me to learn how to do, and now I, I'm known for it, is no. Yeah, me too. Yeah, And no is a complete sentence. Um, when I was working in prisons, one of the counselors had behind him a big sign poster uh, that if you were sitting there as an inmate asking for favors, you were facing because it was behind her. And it was, what part of no don't you understand? 
And because that was usually the answer. If you wound up in front of a counselor asking for something, the answer was 99% of the time, no. <laughs> there's a re- ask. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason you had to ask. And that was because you knew the answer was no. But it's worth a shot. I got all day here. It's not like I'm due somewhere. So let's run it by her and see if it'll work. And we were talking about Jim Rohn reminded me of another one of his two of his of my favorite stories he used to do. People would he he said people would come up to him in seminars with a copy of Think and Grow Rich under one arm and How to Win Friends and Influence under the other arm, Charlie Manson's favorite book, by the way. Leaping up and down, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, Jim Rohn said. <laughs> it's good to be excited, but at some point, you got to stop jumping up and down and do something. That was always struck me as classic. And then the other one was, uh, how many, for instance, how many sales did you, sales calls did you make yesterday? Well, you know, when I got up, the kids were sick, and Jim would let me go a sentence or two and then say, excuse me, they just gave me this little square into write, in which to write a number. I It will not hold a story. So let me repeat again. How many sales calls or whatever did you make yesterday? And if they started into any other story again, ah, nope, nope. A number. I need a number. <laughs> and he'd show him the, the little square on his form. It's a way to do it. You have to get... Look, when I'm having a sales call, and I had one yesterday that was just phenomenal. And I we had so much fun. I mean, we really did. He was a warm call because he had been referred to me by our friend, Tony Robleski. So it was not... You know, I didn't think call it a one and done, but I felt good about it. And he did as well. We had so much fun. We were exchanging recipes about seafood at the end. of it. <laughs> so, you never know what's going to happen, but you have yes. to show up. You have to be prepared. You have no excuses. And if you do have to say, I don't know, fortunately yesterday at no point did I have to say, I don't know, but I would have. Sure. And the sale was made. Uh, if somebody hears what you said, they might say, oh, well, that was a laydown sale. Uh, yeah, the the laydown sale comes from knowing what you're doing and being regarded as an authority. The sale came when you made Tony Rubleski feel confident that he could send people to you and it wouldn't blow up in his face. That exactly. was the sale. You're, you're, when you were talking to the person, you were almost down to post-selling at that point. Uh, it kind of felt that way, but, you know, because I already knew what this gentleman needed. He was delightful. He really was. And we both came away from it feeling very happy about that phone call. But early in my career, when I would have to make those phone calls, especially, you know, sales calls or accept a sales call, when it got to the point, well, how much is this going to cost me? I would just go, I learned very, very quickly that I could not worry about what they could afford i had to worry about what my my value was so now i just go well here it is and i just it's out there i don't hesitate i don't and they're going okay good they want to know they don't want you wasting their time yeah if i ask you how much i don't know yeah here it is if i ask you something i want something i can put in that little square yep Yep, yep, i I don't want to hear a story i don't hear you know i'll get back to you now there are things uh you know how much does the i'll come in and look around but first, I need to know, what does the car cost? Right. Well, we have a thousand cars on the lot. Which car are we talking about? Well, I don't know. Well, then there's no way to give you a price. When you're standing in front of a car you're really interested in, I will get it down to the penny before we walk away from that car. Uh, but if it's something that we know, I mean, let's say you're selling bice- uh, a Schwinn bicycle, if they still make them, how much is the Schwinn Black Phantom uh, bicycle? I don't want to hear a story. I want to hear $199.95 or whatever it is nowadays. So they, people may be laughing at me. But that was the top of the line bicycle when I was in the bicycle buying and selling business years ago but whatever it is it's not going to change around so don't act evasive 
give me the answer or explain to me why you literally can't give me the answer. Sir, I can give you the, the average price if you give me just a second of all the cars we sold last month. It is, you know, $55,000, but that included a used $150,000 Rolls Royce, and it included a Junker Mercury Comet that we get wanted off the lot for $150. Oh. Now, which car are you talking about? Well, I don't know. Exactly. Right. So that's why you have to come in and find the car you want, and then I will give you a to-the-penny answer to your question. But see, that's, again, that's almost like the value of I don't know. That's saying up front, you know, I don't want to insult the customer. You're not insulting the customer by telling them the truth. And they, listen, when we're talking with people, we don't know what's going on in their head. Right. We barely, I barely know what's going on in my own head, so I don't <laughs> yeah. How would I know what's going on in yours? Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. So you need to be as honest and as upfront as you can be. And if you're getting signals that they just cannot afford you, be gracious about it and try to find them somebody that, you know, they can work with or doesn't need the, you know, the full ride with you. They don't need everything that you offer. If, you know, just don't end on a bad note, but one of the, and I'm losing my mind already, but one of the, the things in this book that I've circled actually, and I rarely do that, but I circled it because it just made me laugh. It said, you know, fifth, this is, we were talking about one, two, three, four, and five. Fifth, it helps maintain your credibility as an expert in your field. Understand that experts frequently have to look up information before they respond to questions. And this is what I circled. Albert Einstein didn't even know how many feet there were in a mile. Well, I don't either. So I feel so much better about my life. <laughs> it was, I saw him in a, it was an old film interview, but uh, someone asked him, literally, he was sitting at his desk and a whole bunch of books and a big bookcase behind him. And they said, uh, I'm told you don't, uh, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but don't deal in the small, insignificant things. So professor or doctor, whatever he called him, he said, how many feet in a mile? And Einstein, without any hesitation, said, I don't know. That's why I got all in with his thumb pointed to the books behind him. He said, I don't know. That's why I got all these books. Exactly. And you were talking about quotes, you know, just a little bit ago. And this gentleman I was talking with yesterday, you know, we, we got off on a tangent after we had concluded our business and we talked about Top Gun Maverick. We talked about Apollo 13. <laughs> he wanted to know, you know, what was one of my favorite quotes was. And of course I went completely blank and I said, well, I like C.S. Lewis and I love the Stoics, but so he quoted one that he said was, he said, he thinks it was, um, Henry Ford. And I said, no, I think that's Zig Ziglar. And off we went. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> I remember which one it was? Nope. I'd have no, to go okay. back and, and write it. I'd have to find out. But one of it sounded like something Ziglar would have said, too. Yeah. one. Of, well, there's a lot of those where we all say it, too, because we heard somebody else say right. it. And it went into our subconscious mind and so on. Wade Cannon, one of my dear friends, passed away now, was a human behavioral scientist and a witty funny guy i'll clearing some of the language ahead of time with you one day i'll tell you some of his really classic ones in front of large groups uh, but anyway he told a story over dinner and he wasn't speaking the next day or he'd already spoken i don't know i didn't feel uh, imprisoned by keeping it secret so i got up the next morning and i told his story or gave his example or something without attribution and uh, when I came off and maybe we were having lunch he said Ben you said uh, blah 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 and I said yeah and, and he said that was my story and I oh. said oh yeah I, I, I said I'm sorry I didn't mean it I was you know next let's get on to the next subject and he said let me tell you how to steal stories the first time you say it say as Wade Cannon once said blah 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 oh. As second time you tell it, say, as someone once said, blah, 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 blah. And the third time you can say, as I've always said. Oh. I said that's a good idea. Said, it's a good idea, but you didn't do it. Oh. <laughs> so it wasn't really verbal plagiarism. It was just out and out theft. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, gotcha. And that's where we all got started. Everybody uh, borrowed something here, changed a word or two or what have you. And after a while, you sort of forget that maybe you didn't come up with it to start with. I gave a speech for years called I am. I still use it occasionally, but the point was don't set goals. Someday I will be blah, blah, blah. Claim them now. I am blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so on. And among the people who had to listen to that speech dozens, if not hundreds of times was Bob Proctor. Right. You told me about him. Let's yeah. Keep he going borrowed this. That's it. Fascinating. He borrowed it and bought a copy of Think and Grow Rich. He never met Dr. Hill and built a career and gave a speech and wrote a book based on I am for me. And I read through the book at high speed to see if my name was mentioned, was not. Uh, and uh, nor did he ever mention that he never met Dr. Hill, which is my fault because they both worked for me at the same time. And I just never dawned on me to introduce him. One was living in the United States, the other lived in Canada. I got all sorts of excuses, but I just didn't know. Uh, and uh, anyway, while telling how I am developed one time, including part of that story, somebody came up to me afterward and said, uh, are you a religious person? And I said, well, I'm at least spiritual. I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and so on. Uh, I don't go to a specific church every week. And I said, well, next time you're in church, if, if you don't have a Bible, pick up theirs and look for maybe in the index, look for I am. Well, it turned out it's mentioned in the Bible several times. And it's I am God. Yeah. yeah. That's that's exactly when you were talking. I went, I know what that means. That's it's a God reference. And uh, there's a large religion that has I am built into their name. And so on. So now I'm thinking back. I wonder how many times I've told the I am story that I created, came up with spontaneously, I thought. Probably heard it somewhere when I was in uh, prep schools, or Episcopalian prep school. Maybe they mentioned it and I put it in my subconscious and then thought it was mine when I rediscovered it. But uh, when in doubt, A, say I don't know, B, uh, give attribution to people whenever you can as often as you can it makes you look more honest and smarter uh i'd love quoting Ogmandino because he's mythical to people by quoting him i'm not only giving the quote and teaching you the lesson i'm letting you know that Ogmandino was a friend of mine when uh, if i talk about dr hill so-and-so happened. I forget it was in my office or up at the house. That makes sure you understand he was my personal friend and came to my house. He's not, I didn't buy a copy of Think and Grow Rich and make a career out of it. I knew the person. I knew the man. We laughed and giggled and went on boat rides together and argued on a regular basis. Friendly. But I argued with him. He was 84. I was 25. Only like a 25-year-old can argue with an 84-year-old borderline genius, <laughs> meaning I had no business arguing. But he, as he said to me at our, I think the very first lunch I had with him right after I'd been told he'd been given to me and, and now work for me, I think it was that day we went to lunch and he was still in that thing of making sure I knew how important he was. And he said, you know, one of the things I've always said is uh, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. And he went to put uh, a, that's not his. Yeah, went to put a bite of salad in his mouth. And I said, unless he's crazy. And <laughs> he, the fork stopped <laughs> two or three inches from his mouth. I didn't yet know that most people didn't question Dr. Hill, especially uh -huh. if he was quoting one of his famous quotes. Yeah, so, but he did. Did he really? My impression has always been that he caught that from someone else. Well, entirely possible. Again, we all did. When well, I was and here's born, the thing, ben, there are no new ideas. All right. we can do is work with what is in our heads. Somebody once said that when the Bible was finished and Shakespeare died, the rest of us have just been moving words around. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm guilty of that. In the early days, if I was writing a book, right beside me was a thesaurus because I wanted to look smarter and use a bigger word. 
So I had the word I knew with my limited education. Then I looked up with thesaurus and see if I could find a longer word that might impress people more. Having forgotten, yeah. having forgotten what, what my senior year English teacher taught me right before she had me win the state writing championship, thanks to her, uh, which was right at a sixth grade level. And she said, so you don't lose anybody. And then she patted me the arm. She said, fortunately, that won't be difficult for you, Ben. Ow. <laughs> yeah. Oh. See, I, I tell people, and I, you know, I build websites. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of churning out of social media. And I frequently have to say, Denise, keep it Homer Simpson stupid. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people, it's it has to be quick. It has to be a, a bite that they can, oh, okay, I remember that. That's a good quote. If you make your words too long, too word, and I can't. I mean, I've been reading since I was three. I could churn out some stuff that would look beautiful, wouldn't be readable. Yeah, people's eyes would cross while they were they, trying yeah, to figure out. Yep. I don't, I don't want my readers to have to get out their thesaurus to figure out what I said. So I try and simplify now somebody, I, and I don't remember who, but I first heard it in the Outward Bound film, the camp Outward Bound. They had a recruiting film that was magnificent. I used to show it in seminars as a motivational tool. But he said, whoever it was narrating and doing the film, he quoted somebody and said, our job in life is to take it by the horns and reduce it to its lowest common denominator, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. And I follow that. If you want to take it even further, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, keep it simple. Salesman was a famous recording done by my friend Fred Herman from Cedartown, Georgia. He was a famous sales trainer in his day. And uh, I held, he was working on a runway, you know, out into the audience 40 feet and so on and my job was to sit at the end of the runway holding up a, a mic on a stick it's probably a more technical word for that to get what he said when he came down to that end and that was keep it simple salesman so every time hmm. somebody mentions it i i drop in i held the microphone for that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was there <laughs> yeah <laughs> he Cute story about Fred Herman. He was, we were all having lunch one day by J. Douglas Edwards, Dr. Hill, whoever. I don't remember who was there, but a bunch of people sitting around the table swapping sales stories. And the subject came up worst thing that a salesperson ever did to you. And Fred Herman said, and Fred was popular and a wonderful guy, but he was never a big, he wasn't Tony Robbins. Uh, and uh, so he never made that kind of money, even adjusted for inflation. And he started talking about the guy who came to Cedartown and called on him and cost him millions of dollars. And he got red in the face talking about it. And uh, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, how did you lose millions of dollars when I know you didn't have millions of dollars? And I forget if the subject came up by somebody or he volunteered it, but it turned out what he meant was the guy who came to Cedartown, Georgia in the 50s, I'm guessing, was selling mutual funds. And Fred said he cost him millions of dollars because he wasn't good enough to close him on oh. buying mutual funds, dollar cost averaging. Gotcha. And uh, so his his complaint was legitimate. I just misunderstood how it came about. Well, that's bad sales. I mean, he wasn't listening or paying attention to Fred and, and not understanding what Fred didn't understand. Right. He didn't get him to that point. And, and let the sales slip away. And as Fred said, millions of dollars. But over the years, that was probably absolutely true. Gotcha. Yeah, that that would kind of irritate me a bit. Yeah, well, <laughs> you have to make your own decisions, but you also need the information to help you make those decisions, and yeah. that's what sales is. Get good guidance from a good salesperson who knows their product and is selling quality products and services. So, almost all of our conversations that I'm involved in 
always come back down to the absolute simplest ideas and concepts. As I've told you, I have a 10-day seminar, a five-day, a three-day, a two-day, an all-day, a half-day, and a one-hour. The hardest ones to give are the 10-day seminars because I have to take what I could explain to you in 30, 40 minutes, if you were paying attention, taking notes, and stretch that out into 10 days. That is really difficult <laughs> without repeating and repeating and repeating. You are repeating, but you have to change the words up so they don't catch it quite so readily. But selling, which is what I am led to believe or what most of our people are involved in. Of course, we're all involved in selling, but uh, in by a profession are involved in is really so simple. Jimmy Rucker, my business partner, greatest salesman I ever personally worked with, uh, Jimmy, I'd say, go up front and tell him what you do. And he'd go up front and say, okay, just watch what I do and do that and go sit down. He'd sit down. And I said, no, Jimmy, <laughs> they want to know what you do. He said, well, I get a good product and I explain it simply and I become their friend. That's it. Watch what I do. That was his 10-day seminar reduced to about 30 seconds. I so, bet he didn't get paid as much as you do, though. No, well, not for speaking, but, <laughs> no. but for selling, he did. <laughs> when I say I beat Zig Ziglar and I won the presidency of the company and so on, uh, back in the Holiday Magic Cosmetic days, Jimmy was my 50-50 partner. And we've sort of teased each other about who was the who who you can't do anything absolutely equal so who was the better closer probably him who worked harder probably me uh and so on but we were 50 50 and if we've been operating independently of course zig had a partner also melania so he i could make the same argument with him uh but uh it's it's never a one-man show but it is so simple. I, sometimes while doing sales training, I see people making notes and looking puzzled. And I think, what don't you get? Quality product, <laughs> competitively priced, talk to qualified people, become a person of class quality substance with the ability to tastefully project that you are because people want to buy from people they know, like, trust, and with whom they feel safe. How simple could, I didn't time it, but what was that, less than a minute? Less. And one yeah. of the things that has always impressed me about you, you will always say when somebody says, well, why should I buy from you instead of Billy Bob over here on your right? Well, with me, you get Ben Gay the third, and you yep. give them your phone number, you give them their business card, you're there for them. When your car breaks down on the side of the road, call AAA if that makes you feel better, but mainly get out this card and call me. I will get it handled for you. You know, exactly. I'll come pick you up. I'll send the tow truck. I'll cover the tow truck, whatever. When you buy XYZ product or service from me, you get me. And there's no product on earth but this one that comes with me. Exactly right. And a story you told me, I can't remember now, it was a month ago or two months ago, but you were talking about when your dad passed away. And we were talking about insurance in the first, because you were in California, I believe, and your dad was in Georgia. Is that right? right? Yeah. And the first thing you did was call this man that you knew well. He was your dad's insurance agent. And he stepped up and he took care of it. Tell the rest of the story, because I get a little teary-eyed about it. Well, was, his name was Phil Gage, and he was with Massachusetts Mutual. And dad played golf with him. He was sort of, you know, always part of my life you know, if only socially twice a year or whatever. But my father told me when something happens to me, go to my top left-hand desk drawer and there's a, 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 you know, a letter or a guide or something of what to do. And he died at age 60. And Everybody he passed thought, at work? He died at work, didn't he? Yeah, he died at work. Yeah. And asked his secretary to get something for him. And she did. And when she came back, his head was down on the desk and he was gone, age 60. And uh, so I, I feel like I'm, I've lived past my expiration date. <laughs> I, I feel good about it. But anyway, I did. Flew back to Atlanta, comforted my mother and sister, 
went to the office, opened the top left drawer, and it said, call Phil Gage, and gave me his phone number. So I called him, and I said, Dad passed away. He said, I just heard that this morning. How can I help? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I've never had anybody. I'm young. <laughs> I was 30. I've never buried anybody. Uh, what do I do? He said, I'll be right there. So he came to the office, uh, sat with me, uh, later went to the funeral home, Turner's funeral home. And I'd known the Turners for years. But if Phil hadn't been there, I probably would have spent a lot more money than I did with Phil there because he wasn't as emotionally involved. Handled that, went to the house, picked out the clothing that he and mother wanted dad to wear at the funeral and uh, lots of other things. And then uh, said, OK, give me the, the he said he has a folder here uh, somewhere with all the policies in it. He said, give me that. And I got it and I gave it, I gave it to him. And then a few days later, the check started arriving. Uh, combined insurance, you know, 50,000, so-and-so, 40,000, whatever. And as I got ready to leave 10 days later to go back to California, I said to Phil called, how's it going? I said, fine. The only thing, Phil, that I haven't gotten, oddly enough, is a check from Mass Mutual. And uh, I, I, I'm not whining and complaining, but I would have thought that got here first. He said, oh, Ben, your father hasn't had a policy with me in years. I, the list you got was written the day he bought a policy from us. But as time went on and you left home and started doing well and your sister left home and got married and so on, he didn't need that much insurance. So I cut out those policies he wouldn't need just to make sure that he was covered at the end and that your mother would never have to work a day in her life. And that's what I've accomplished. So there is no mass mutual check coming. I said, you did all of that for nothing? He said, not nothing. He was a good friend. And I promised him I would. So that's the reason I did it. And the punchline as a, as a sales story to that, in my opinion, is Phil told me later that although he'd make all the million dollar sales clubs they had to offer, if he didn't ever make another sale, other than the referrals I sent to him by telling that story all over the world, <laughs> uh, more importantly, all over the United States, he said, I could live on that very well. People are always calling me and saying, you don't know me. But Ben Gay said in a seminar, this told me the story about when his dad died. I want to do business with you. And see, between him and Zig Zig, not Zig Ziglar, Dr. Napoleon Hill, you have had some mentors that have, they're, they're famous in their own right. Absolutely. More, several of them more famous than me, but they all work for me. <laughs> right. so, I think I told you one time we're up at the house, Dr. Hill's there, Old Nightingale's there, maybe some other people milling around. And I told them the story about when I joined Holiday Magic, my sponsor, Bill Dempsey, gave me a copy of The Strangest Secret, the, the record, The Strangest Secret, which is sitting right here on my desk, recorded 1956 by Earl Nightingale. And he gave me a copy of Think and Grow Rich. It wasn't historical. I now have one of those, too. But he just gave me his copy. And he said, you're young, you're inexperienced. Read this book. Listen to this record until you got it. So two years later, I'm president of the company. And we're sitting in this big house in Marin County and uh, looking out over San Francisco Bay. And one of them, Dr. Hill and or uh, Earl, said, well, did they help? And I said, well, and I looked around the room and they started smiling because apparently it had. And I said, and you both work for me. So what happened, Denise, was I got through luck. Uh, I wasn't trying to win a contest. I was trying to do well. And that was good enough to win the contest and the mystery prize. Mystery prize, it turned out. If Bill, if William Penn Patrick liked you, the mystery prize was presidency of the company. He told me if he hadn't liked who won the contest, he would have changed the prize. 
as it was, I became president. Zig got a Rolls Royce. Next guy got a Lincoln Continental and so on. But I, I wasn't trying to win it. I was just trying to do well. But that put me in the catbird seat in the mid-60s to late-70s. If you were anybody in the sales and speaking world, you were trying to get in tight with Holiday Magic Cosmetics. We were the largest direct sales multi-level company in the world, us and our subsidiary company's grand total. Uh, seven major companies, including two major seminar companies. And we were, each of those was in 20 different countries. Therefore, I didn't meet Napoleon Hill by accident. I was in the right spot. Whoever was president of the company would have met him. Uh, I didn't meet, of course, Zig I knew because we joined the same business on the same day and competed good-naturedly for years. Uh, Ogmandino came to the office to figure out how to get close with uh, Holiday Magic Cosmetics. And there I was. You had to see me uh, and so on. So many of the people, I have a list around here somewhere of all the famous, not all, but many of the famous people I've worked with. They were all because I was sitting in the right place at the right time. Now, and you didn't I'm, ignore it. You you took full over time advantage because in the beginning yeah. you couldn't possibly have known. No, no, I didn't. Me. It unfolded. You know, I, I remember it was like the sun coming up. It doesn't come up. Bang! It comes and the light comes on. And somewhere along in that process, I remember thinking, "Damn, uh, this is a good place to be." Uh, somebody asked me one day, how'd you meet, you know, fill in the blank. I don't remember who they were asking about. Let's say it was Og. How did you meet Og Bandino? I said, I had to go to the bathroom. And they said, what does that mean? Well, I got up from my office and went down the hall to the bathroom. And there he was, you know, and behind him was probably Jay Douglas Edwards. And over here was uh, Reverend Bob Schuler, And over here was somebody else. I was in the right place at the right time, the catbird seat. Right. Now, what I started to say was enough about me, which many of our listeners have probably come to that conclusion. Uh, please tell me what you and Mr. Brown are doing in the podcast world with your new uh, uh, program, which is about to launch. I mean, it is. It like is. next but, week or something. Tell yeah. them what what you can do for them. And before she even starts talking, let me tell you, I totally endorse anything they're doing. Uh, Denise and I are on Wednesday, one day out of seven, we're partners <laughs> for an hour or so. She's, uh, I have the deepest respect for her. We kid around. But if I had to save my life by creating and having a successful podcast, there's one person in the Rolodex I would call, and it's Denise Griffiths. So tell them what you're going to be doing. I will, and thank you. And before I, I launch into that, because I need to gather my, I had a, a chat this morning with, with David Brown, and just because we kind of pick each other's brains, you know, by accident sometimes, and just out of the blue, he asked me a question. I went, oh, geez, something neither of us had even thought about, and it was critical. So we're reworking a little bit, but I was like, where did that come from? Why didn't we already know this? But it's it's out there now. We're both working on it. So thank goodness for that. But what I wanted to say about sales and, you know, the, we talked a bit about, you know, Mr. Mr. Gage, and we've talked about Jimmy Rucker, and we've talked about so many people, who, you know, Dr. Napoleon Hill, but Jimmy, not Jimmy Rucker, Phil Gage, and you. I mean, I think what a lot of salespeople don't really give much thought to, and I wish they would, is that how they behave now, how they help and assist now, whether they make the sales or not, that's going to linger with people. They're going to remember you 10 years down the road yep. or after you're gone. So what I'm trying to say and probably trying to say it poorly because it's kind of churning around in my head is that that sale is important. Yes, it is, but it's not the only thing that you need to be paying attention to. You need to show up, listen, learn, be of assistance. If you don't make that particular sale, you may not ever hear from this person again, but they may be at your funeral. You just don't know. 
does and, that make any sense at all? I'm yeah. I'm the, person Tony's, the person Tony Rubleski sent to you is proof positive of that. Uh, he, you said or did and performed in such a manner that he felt comfortable in recommending you. Uh, I talked to him hundreds of people over the years where the conversation starts out. You don't know me, but right. so-and-so told me that I'm, and that I'm supposed to come see you. I, I, I tried to become the Phil Gage uh, for a lot of people. <clears throat> and it's worked. It. It's Definitely. because I had good models and I paid attention to the good models. Phil Gage the mine. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. But sales are important, especially if you've got a mortgage to pay next week or just whatever's going to happen. But you can't just focus on, I've got to make that sale today. I've got to make that sale today. You need to have a relationship of some description with whoever you're speaking with. And but stay mostly, in touch through yes. drip marketing. Stay yes. in touch. Now, you don't have to write out a handwritten card every few minutes, but you can always stay in touch. I, I liken my emails and Facebook comments and so on to I try and project something that's funny and or valuable, something I think will help them. But what I'm really saying behind the scenes with malice and forethought is I'm Ben Gay and I'm still alive. Right. And you posted something. I love your the ones where you, you know, out of your your binders and your notebooks, you posted something yesterday about J. Douglas Edwards and I made a mental note to go find that book on my multiple bookcases because you wrote the most lovely, when you sent that book to me, you wrote the, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I think it said, Denise, he would love you. He would have loved yep. you. And I, he would have. Yeah. yeah. That sale, she's talking about sales closing power yeah. book I wrote for Doug's family after he died, but it's true to what he taught me and his recordings and so on. So when I say I wrote it, I pretty much gathered it together and transcribed it. And it's a lovely book, but I, I never forgot. I opened that up and went, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I felt so special. Well, listen, and thank you for asking about Get Your Voice Heard, which is what I'm working with with David L. Brown. He's the business plan answer man, and you can find him on www.businessplanansermen.com. But we are, it has occurred to us over the last year, we've been talking about this and we're finally ready to kind of get out of our own ways and launch it. But there are so many people coming into the podcasting industry right now as a guest or as a host or both. And there's so much that they just don't know. And we want to keep it simple, you know, keep it simple, stupid. We don't need to burden you or overburden you with a lot of different things that you're not even sure what those things are. What's an RSS feed? I know what it is, but do you? So, you know, we need to talk with people. So we're going to be doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one working with people. But our goal is to equip podcasters with the skills and the confidence that they need to make a very real impact in the podcasting world and in the business world. So we're calling it Get Your Voice Heard. But just kind of, you know, keep an eye on us. We're going to be sharing the details on your part on successradio.com and on businessplantsoranswerman.com. And we're going to be asking our friends, you, Tony Robleski. We know a lot, a lot of people to say, hey, can you take a look at this and push it out to your audience? And I sat down the other day and I started thinking, oh, I've got that, that, that. And after about 50 people, I went, do I know 50 people? Apparently, <laughs> I do. <laughs> so, but we're really, we're getting very anxious to get it launched because I think it will be so helpful for people who are genuinely starting out, but they're just overburdened with, oh, you know, go to this platform, do this. And do, they don't know where to start. We can help. Well, and I repeat, I wholeheartedly endorse it if I we're trying to start a podcast on my own with my limited knowledge. You're the one I would call. And uh, David Brown ranks right up there. He and I, you were talking about Tony Rubaleski earlier. That's how y'all uh, met. Right. That's how we met at a Tony Rubaleski, uh, I forget, Trailblazers or something seminar he holds once a year. And oh, David was there and among my favorite people at that particular meeting. That's one of the joys of doing seminars and giving speeches and doing podcasts. You meet people you wouldn't otherwise have met. And uh, he, I don't so. know if he shared this with you, Ben, but he told me years ago, he said, you know, I 
knew who Ben Gay was. I'd read his books, but I didn't recognize him in person. He said, I sat next to him for a day or two before I realized who I was sitting next to. He said, and then he went, that's Ben Gay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, that's Ben Gay the (laughs) third. Well, he's a neat guy. Uh, I've recommended him numerous times. He's He's one of those people like you who is comfortably honest and comfortably competent. Oh, that's nice. That's so better than Denise. Stop talking. That is. (laughs) Shut up, Denise. Yeah, you're getting in your own way. Knock it off. (laughs) Thank you. That is that you're very, very kind. But listen, we're going to run out of time very quickly. And it's always fascinating talking with you. What are we chatting about next Wednesday? And well, Christmas, because we were talking about Tony Rubaleski, I will give you his uh, favorite chapter in the closers part two. It's on page 153, and it's called Just Fly the Plane, Son, Just Fly the Plane. And uh, that comes from a flight instructor I had years ago who tricked me into understanding that lesson. And I'll explain that next week. But Just Fly the Plane, Son, Just Fly the Plane on page 153 in The Closers Part 2. Got it. Now tell people where they can get these books. And I will tell anybody who will listen to me long enough, if you don't have not created your own entrepreneurial library, no matter where you are in your career, whatever it is that you're doing, you need books, you need mentors. And if you can't afford a mentor, you can find us. We're all over the place. And we, you know, I, I'm a mentor in many ways. Ben definitely is a mentor. And, you know, we're putting out enough content that you should be able to learn from us if you really want to. But that being said, books, make sure that you start your entrepreneurial library and the closers part one, the closers part two and Jay Douglas Edwards books there. And, you know, I've got certain sections in these, these bookcases. I've got Zig Ziglar. I've got you. I've got several books that they don't budge. They're going to stay on that shelf. It's that's, that's where I go all the time. These are the books that I'm constantly grabbing. So, Ben, tell people where they can find your books. Yeah, and a lot of times when I refer them to the place I'm going to give you, uh, I sort of know names. And when I get the daily report, I'll see that they bought, but they went to Amazon out of habit, oh, I guess. Right. I'm going to give you a site where the prices are lower and the shipping is free. Neither is true at Amazon or even at my own website. So if you want any of my material, go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S, obviously all one word, stores dot eBay dot com forward slash Ronzoni Books. And I vouch for that company because Ronzoni is Gigi, my wife's maiden name. Uh, She does it. She runs it. And she's undercut my pricing, which wasn't part of the deal (laughs) when I originally agreed to let her carry them on her site. But anyway, do it. And you'll get more out of these talks when you can hear it. And then if you haven't, we always give you a week's warning. If you haven't already, read the chapter we're talking about because there's obviously more depth there. But just fly the plane, son. Just fly the plane. You'll get a lot out of it. Tony uh, Rubaleski has almost built a career on it. He never gives a talk if he doesn't spend some time on that chapter. I did not know that. I'm going to have to harass him about that. (laughs) That's the wrong word. I'm going to have a conversation congratulating him on being so intelligent to take that (laughs) and run with it or something somewhere in between who knows what I'm going to say but listen thank you so much and um I wanted to there was something else I wanted to ask you but we are oh 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 I know what it was you were is your um mentorship is that filled up because the last time we spoke off you know offline you were getting filled up pretty quickly are you still have room or I I don't have any I don't have any openings currently, but because I work closely with these people and they're friends of mine after they 
first their clients, then they become friends. I know of two openings that will be coming up at or around the first of the year. We've, achieved our, we've achieved our goals and uh, they're riding off into the sunset with a lot more money and experience than they had before. And to find out about that, just shoot me an email. It's B as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, the number three, BFG3 at DirectCon, D-I-R-E-C-T-C-O-N uh, dot net. That's my uh, email address. And just put somewhere in it, you don't have to write a big thing, but somewhere in it, in the subject line or whatever, mention mentoring. And I'll send you the details about the mentoring thing. And I repeat, I don't have any openings right now, but I'm about to have two, I believe. Excellent. I knew that you were filled up and I wasn't sure how long that was going to you know, be the case or if the new year would be a new year. So everybody, thank you for joining us and be sure to find us on your partner in Success Radio. Just look for me, Denise Griffiths and Ben Gay III, or it's subtitled Your Partner in Success Radio, The Closer's Inner Circle Podcast, which I know is kind of long, but that's the way to differentiate between my regular podcast and this one with Ben. So just look for us. Truly, you can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting this podcast or us. So thank you, everybody. We will see you next week, Ben. Thank you. Bless you. As I always say, Gigi and I love you. Thank you so much for making us part of your family. Oh, I wouldn't have been without this for the world. I wouldn't have missed it. And tell Gigi I busted you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a graceful way to cover that. Oh, I don't think it can be done. You're busted. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll talk to you again soon. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye.